I'm Richard Figge, and this is for Reading Out Loud. Thanks for being with me this evening. Some writers who have a lightning wit and a gift for repartee, and who have created cynical and witty characters, have been mistaken for cynics themselves. Such was the case of Oscar Wilde. But I don't think a true cynic could have written the stories I want to share with you tonight. These go out to Jack and the lovely group of people who share his interest and delight in fairy tales through the ages. The first is Oscar Wilde's delicate and tender story, The Happy Prince. High above the city, on a tall column, stood the statue of the Happy Prince. He was gilded all over with thin leaves of fine gold. For eyes he had two bright sapphires, and a large red ruby glowed on his sword-hilt. He was very much admired indeed. Once there flew over the city a little swallow on his way to Egypt. He saw the statue on the tall column. "'I will put up there,' he cried." It is a fine position, with plenty of fresh air. So he alighted just between the feet of the happy prince. I have a golden bedroom, he said softly to himself as he looked around, and he prepared to go to sleep. But just then a large drop of water fell on him. What a curious thing, he cried. There is not a single cloud in the sky, the stars are quite clear and bright, and yet it is raining. The climate here is really dreadful. Then another drop fell. What is the use of a statue if it cannot keep the rain off, he said, determined to fly away. But before he had opened his wings, a third drop fell, and he looked up and saw. Ah, what did he see? Tears were running down the golden cheeks of the happy prince. His face was so beautiful in the moonlight that the little swallow was filled with pity. "'Who are you?' he said. "'I am the happy prince.' "'Why are you weeping, then?' asked the swallow. "'When I was alive,' answered the statue, "'I did not know what tears were, "'for I lived in a palace where sorrow is not allowed to enter. "'Round the garden ran a very lofty wall, "'but I never cared to ask what lay beyond it, Everything about me was so beautiful. They called me the Happy Prince, and happy indeed I was, if pleasure be happiness. But now that I am dead they have set me up where I can see all the ugliness and all the misery of my city, and though my heart is made of lead, yet I cannot choose but weep. What? Is he not solid gold? said the swallow to himself. He was too polite to make any personal remarks out loud. Far away, continued the statue in a low musical voice, far away in a little street there is a poor house. Through one of the windows I can see a woman seated at a table. Her face is thin and worn, and her hands are all pricked by the needle, for she is a seamstress. She is embroidering passion flowers for a satin gown for the queen's maids of honor to wear at the next court ball. In a bed in the corner of the room, Her little boy is lying ill. He is asking for oranges, 
His mother has nothing to give him but river water, so he is crying. Swallow, swallow, little swallow, will you not bring her the ruby out of my sword-hilt? My feet are fastened to this pedestal, and I cannot move. I am waited for in Egypt, said the swallow. My friends are flying up and down the Nile. Swallow, swallow, little swallow, said the prince. Will you not stay with me for one night and be my messenger? The boy is so thirsty, and the mother is so sad. I don't think I like boys, answered the swallow. They are always throwing stones at me. But the happy prince looked so sad that the little swallow was sorry. It is very cold here, he said, but I will stay with you for one night and be your messenger. Thank you, little swallow, said the prince. So the swallow picked out the great ruby from the prince's sword and flew away with it in his beak over the roofs of the town. He passed by the cathedral tower where the white marble angels were sculptured. He passed by the palace and heard the sound of dancing. A beautiful girl came out on the balcony with her lover. How wonderful the stars are, he said to her, and how wonderful is the power of love. I hope my dress will be ready in time for the royal ball, she answered. I have ordered passion flowers to be embroidered on it, but the seamstresses are so lazy. The swallow passed over the river and saw the lanterns hanging to the masts of the ships, and at last he came to the poor house and looked in. The boy was tossing feverishly on his bed, and the mother had fallen asleep, she was so tired. In he hopped and laid the great ruby on the table beside the woman's thimble. Then he flew gently around the bed, fanning the boy's forehead with his wings. "'How cool I feel,' said the boy. "'I must be getting better,' and he sank into a delicious slumber. Then the swallow flew back to the happy prince and told him what he had done. "'It is curious,' he remarked, "'but I feel quite warm now, although it is so cold.' "'That is because you have done a good deed,' said the prince." "'Tonight I go to Egypt,' said the swallow. "'I am just starting.' "'Swallow, swallow, little swallow,' said the prince. "'Will you not stay with me one night longer?' "'I am waited for in Egypt,' answered the swallow. "'Tomorrow my friends will fly up to the second cataract.' "'Swallow, swallow, little swallow,' said the prince. "'Far away across the city I see a young man in a garret.' He is leaning over a desk covered with papers, and in a glass by his side there is a bunch of withered violets. His hair is brown and crisp, and he has large and dreamy eyes. He is trying to finish a play for the director of the theater, but he is too cold to write any more. There is no fire in the grate, and hunger has made him faint. "'I will wait with you one night longer,' said the swallow, who really had a good heart." Shall I take him another ruby? Alas, I have no ruby now, said the prince. My eyes are all that I have left. They are made of rare sapphires which were brought out of India a thousand years ago. Pluck out one of them and take it to him. He will sell it to the jeweler and buy food and firewood and finish his play. Dear prince, said the swallow, I cannot do that. And he began to weep. "'Swallow, swallow, little swallow,' said the prince, "'do as I command you.' So the swallow plucked out the prince's eye 
and flew away to the student's garret. It was easy enough to get in as there was a hole in the roof. Through this he darted and came into the room. The young man had his head buried in his hands so he did not hear the flutter of the bird's wings, and when he looked up he found the beautiful sapphire lying on the withered violets. "'I am beginning to be appreciated,' he cried. "'This is from some great admirer. Now I can finish my play.' And he looked quite happy. The next day the swallow flew down to the harbor. He sat on the mast of a large vessel and watched the sailors hauling big chests out of the hold with ropes. "'I am going to Egypt,' cried the swallow. But nobody minded, and when the moon rose he flew back to the happy prince. "'I am come to bid you good-bye,' he cried. "'Swallow! Swallow! Little swallow!' said the prince. "'Will you not stay with me one night longer?' "'It is winter,' answered the swallow, "'and the chill snow will soon be here. "'In Egypt the sun is warm on the green palm-trees. "'My companions are building a nest in the temple of Baalbek, "'and the pink and white doves are watching them "'and cooing to each other. "'Dear prince, I must leave you, "'but I will never forget you, "'and next spring I will bring you back two beautiful jewels "'in place of those you have given away.' The ruby shall be redder than a red rose, and the sapphire shall be as blue as the great sea. In the square below, said the happy prince, there stands a little match-girl. She has let her matches fall in the gutter, and they are all spoiled. Her father will beat her if she does not bring home some money, and she is crying. She has no shoes or stockings, and her little head is bare. Pluck out my other eye and give it to her. I will stay with you one night longer, said the swallow, but I cannot pluck out your eye. You would be quite blind then. Swallow, swallow, little swallow, said the prince, do as I command you. So she plucked out the prince's other eye and darted down with it and swooped past the match-girl slipping the jewel into the palm of her hand. What a lovely bit of glass, cried the little girl and she ran home laughing. Then the swallow came back to the prince. "'You are blind now,' he said, "'so I will stay with you always.' "'No, little swallow,' said the poor prince, "'you must go away to Egypt.' "'I will stay with you always,' said the swallow, and he slept at the prince's feet. All the next day he sat on the prince's shoulder and told him stories of what he had seen in strange lands. He told him of the Sphinx, who is as old as the world itself, and lives in the desert, and knows everything. Of the merchants, who walk slowly by the side of their camels, and carry amber beads in their hands. Of the king of the mountains of the moon, of the great green snake that sleeps in a palm tree, and of the pygmies who sail over a big lake on large flat leaves. Dear little swallow, said the prince, you tell me of marvelous things, but more marvelous than anything is the suffering of men and women. There is no mystery so great as misery. Fly over my city, little swallow, and tell me what you see there. So the swallow flew over the great city, and saw the rich making merry in their beautiful houses, while the beggars were sitting at the gates. He flew into dark lanes, and saw the white faces of starving children. 
Under the archway of a bridge, two little boys were lying in one another's arms to try and keep themselves warm. "'How hungry we are,' they said. "'You must not lie here,' shouted the watchman, and they wandered out into the rain. The swallow flew back and told the prince what he had seen. "'I am covered with fine gold,' said the prince. "'You must take it off, leaf by leaf, and give it to the poor.' The living always think that gold can make them happy. Leaf after leaf of the gold the swallow picked off till the happy prince looked quite dull and gray. Leaf after leaf of the fine gold he brought to the poor, and the children's faces grew rosier, and they laughed and played games in the streets. "'We have bread now!' they cried. Then the snow came, and after the snow the frost— The streets looked as if they were made of silver. Long icicles, like crystal daggers, hung down from the eaves of the houses. Everybody went about in furs, and the little boys wore scarlet caps and skated on the ice. The poor little swallow grew colder and colder, but he would not leave the prince. At last he knew that he was going to die. He had just strength to fly up to the prince's shoulder once more. "'Good-bye, dear prince,' he murmured. "'Will you let me kiss your hand?' "'I am glad that you are going to Egypt at last, little swallow,' said the prince. "'You have stayed too long here. "'But you must kiss me on the lips.' "'It is not to Egypt that I am going,' said the swallow. "'I am going to the house of death. "'Death is the brother of sleep, is he not?' "'And he kissed the happy prince on the lips "'and fell down dead at his feet.' At that moment a curious crack sounded in the statue as if something had broken. The fact is that the leaden heart had snapped right in two. It certainly was a dreadfully hard frost. Early the next morning the mayor was walking in the square below in company with the town councillors. As they passed the column he looked up at the statue. "'Dear me, how shabby the happy prince looks,' he said. "'How shabby indeed!' cried the town councillors, who always agreed with the mayor. "'The ruby has fallen out of his sword. His eyes are gone, and he is golden no longer,' said the mayor. "'In fact, he is little better than a beggar.' "'Little better than a beggar,' said the town councillors. "'And here is actually a dead bird at his feet,' continued the mayor. "'We must really issue a proclamation that birds are not allowed to die here.' and the town clerk made a note of it. So they pulled down the statue of the happy prince and melted it in a furnace, and the mayor had a meeting to decide what was to be done with the metal. "'We must have another statue, of course,' he said. "'It shall be a statue of myself.' "'Of myself,' said each of the town councillors. "'What a strange thing,' said the overseer of the workmen at the foundry. This broken lead heart will not melt in the furnace. We must throw it away. So they threw it on a dust heap where the dead swallow was also lying. Bring me the two most precious things in the city, said God to one of his angels, and the angel brought him the leaden heart and the dead bird. You have rightly chosen, said God, for in my garden of paradise This little bird shall sing for evermore, and in my city of gold the happy prince shall praise me.
The Selfish Giant Every afternoon, as they were coming from school, the children used to go and play in the giant's garden. It was a large, lovely garden with soft green grass. Here and there, over the grass, stood beautiful flowers like stars, and there were twelve peach trees that in the spring broke out into delicate blossoms of pink and pearl, and in the autumn bore rich fruit. The birds sat on the trees and sang so sweetly that the children used to stop their games in order to listen to them. How happy we are, they cried to each other. One day the giant came back. He had been to visit his friend, the Cornish ogre, and had stayed with him for seven years. After the seven years were over, he had said all he had to say, for his conversation was limited, and he determined to return to his own castle. When he arrived, he saw the children playing in the garden. "'What are you doing here?' he cried in a very gruff voice, and the children ran away. "'My own garden is my own garden,' said the giant. "'Any one can understand that, and I will allow nobody to play in it but myself.' So he put a high wall around it, and put up a notice-board, "'Trespassers will be prosecuted.' He was a very selfish giant. The poor children had now nowhere to play. They tried to play on the road, but the road was very dusty and full of hard stones, and they did not like it. They used to wander round the high wall when their lessons were over, and talk about the beautiful garden inside. "'How happy we were there!' they said to each other. Then spring came, and all over the country there were little blossoms and little flowers. Only in the garden of the selfish giant it was still winter. The birds did not care to sing in it, as there were no children, and the trees forgot to blossom. Once a beautiful flower put its head out from the grass, but when it saw the notice-board it was so sorry for the children that it slipped back into the ground again and went off to sleep. The only people who were pleased were the snow and the frost. "'Spring has forgotten this garden,' they cried, "'so we will live here all the year round.' The snow covered up the grass with her great white cloak, and the frost painted all the trees silver. Then they invited the north wind to stay with them, and he came. He was wrapped in furs, and he roared all day about the garden and blew the chimney-pots down. "'This is a delightful spot,' he said. "'We must ask the hail on a visit.' So the hail came. Every day for three hours he rattled on the roof of the castle till he broke most of the slates, and then he ran round and round the garden as fast as he could go. He was dressed in grey, and his breath was like ice.' "'I cannot understand why the spring is so late in coming,' said the selfish giant, as he sat at the window and looked out at his cold, white garden. "'I hope there will be a change in the weather.' But the spring never came, nor the summer. The autumn gave golden fruit to every garden, but to the giant's garden she gave none. "'He is too selfish,' she thought. So it was always winter there, and the north wind and the hail and the frost and the snow danced about through the trees. One morning the giant was lying awake in bed when he heard some lovely music 
It sounded so sweet to his ears that he thought it must be the king's musicians passing by. It was really only a little linnet singing outside his window. But it was so long since he had heard a bird sing in his garden that it seemed to him to be the most beautiful music in the world. Then the hail stopped dancing over his head, and the north wind ceased roaring, and a delicious perfume came to him through the open casement. "'I believe the spring has come at last,' said the giant, and he jumped out of bed and looked out. What did he see? He saw a most wonderful sight. Through a little hole in the wall the children had crept in, and they were sitting in the branches of the trees. In every tree that he could see there was a little child, and the trees were so glad to have the children back again that they had covered themselves with blossoms and were waving their arms gently above the children's heads. The birds were flying about and twittering with delight, and the flowers were looking up through the green grass and laughing. It was a lovely scene. Only in one corner it was still winter. It was the farthest corner of the garden, and in it was standing a little boy. He was so small that he could not reach up to the branches of the tree, and he was wandering all round it, crying bitterly. The poor tree was still quite covered with frost and snow, and the north wind was blowing and roaring above it. "'Climb up, little boy,' said the tree, and it bent its branches down as low as it could. But the boy was too tiny, and the giant's heart melted as he looked out. "'How selfish I have been,' he said. "'Now I know why the spring would not come here. I will put the poor little boy on top of the tree, and then I will knock down the wall, and my garden shall be the children's playground for ever and ever.' He was really very sorry for what he had done. So he crept downstairs and opened the front door quite softly and went out into the garden. But when the children saw him they were so frightened that they all ran away, and the garden became winter again. Only the little boy did not run, for his eyes were so full of tears that he did not see the giant coming, and the giant stole up behind him and took him gently in his hand and put him up into the tree." and the tree broke at once into blossom, and the birds came and sang on it, and the little boy stretched out his two arms and flung them round the giant's neck and kissed him. And the other children, when they saw that the giant was not wicked any longer, came running back, and with them came the spring. "'It is your garden now, little children,' said the giant, and he took a great axe and knocked down the wall." and when the people were going to market at twelve o'clock, they found the giant playing with the children in the most beautiful garden they had ever seen. All day long they played, and in the winter they came to the giant to bid him good-bye. "'But where is your little companion?' he said. "'The boy I put into the tree.' The giant loved him the best, because he had kissed him. "'We don't know,' answered the children. "'He has gone away.' "'You must tell him to be sure and come here to-morrow,' said the giant. But the children said that they did not know where he lived, and had never seen him before. And the giant felt very sad. Every afternoon when school was over, the children came and played with the giant. But the little boy whom the giant loved was never seen again. 
The giant was very kind to all the children, yet he longed for his first little friend and often spoke of him. How I would like to see him, he used to say. Years went over, and the giant grew very old and feeble. He could not play about any more, so he sat in a huge armchair and watched the children at their games and admired his garden. I have many beautiful flowers, he said, but the children are the most beautiful flowers of all. One winter morning he looked out of his window as he was dressing. He did not hate the winter now, for he knew that it was merely the spring asleep, and that the flowers were resting. Suddenly he rubbed his eyes in wonder and looked and looked. It certainly was a marvelous sight. In the farthest corner of the garden was a tree quite covered with lovely white blossoms. Its branches were all golden, and silver fruit hung down from them, and underneath it stood the little boy he had loved. Downstairs ran the giant in great joy, and out into the garden. He hastened across the grass, and came near to the child. And when he came quite close, his face grew red with anger, and he said, Who hath dared to wound thee? For on the palms of the child's hands were the prints of two nails, and the prints of two nails were on the little feet. Who hath dared to wound thee? cried the giant. Tell me, that I may take my big sword and slay him. Nay, answered the child, but these are the wounds of love. Who art thou? said the giant, and a strange awe fell on him, and he knelt before the little child, and the child smiled on the giant and said to him, You let me play once in your garden. Today you shall come with me to my garden, which is paradise. And when the children ran in that afternoon, they found the giant lying dead under the tree, all covered with white blossoms. You've been listening to The Happy Prince and the Selfish Giant by Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde, who said he wrote these stories partly for children and partly for those who have kept the childlike faculties of wonder and joy. I'm Richard Figge, and this has been for Reading Out Loud. I hope you'll join me again next week. In the meantime, be well, be happy, stay safe. All the best. (music) 